Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here. Just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly. That's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now, on with monkey tennis. Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cosy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Greetings, podcast fans. It's the best monkey tennis Tom here, Tom Dark. This week, it's my turn to delay your listening pleasure for just a few seconds and remind you that we now have a Kofi page. This is just a little something that we've set up so you can show your appreciation for the podcasting we're doing, have done and will do in the not so distant future. All you need to do is go to ko-fi.com slash monkey tennis. That's ko-fi.com slash monkey tennis. And once you're there, you can donate the price of a coffee or multiple coffees. The choice is yours. We've been researching, dissecting and celebrating everything Partridge for over four years now. Staggering, we know. If you've enjoyed listening and you're willing to overlook our numerous mistakes and errors, any donation, large or small, will really help us continue to dissect whatever comes next in the APU and for us to continue to be better and more sought-after broadcasters. Nothing changes with the pod. It's simply a way for you to show your support for the cream of our discharge. Thanks a lot. We love you. In a way. Producer Jed, you can press play now. Welcome to Knowing Me, Knowing You, Knowing Me, Alan Partridge, Knowing You, The Audience. I've got a hit on my hands. Monkey tennis? Is that good therapy or balmy old cack? Conrad Knight's Monkey tennis? I'm Alan Partridge. Why are you such a tip? Lots of meaty chats. Monkey tennis? I just want you to admit that you hate less tennis. What is it? What is it? What is it? Monkey tennis? Okay, I'm in Manhattan. What do I do now? You are a little shit. Monkey tennis? That in England is a whore. I've taken drugs! Lord Morgan. If you speak again. Physically hit you. And on that bombshell, monkey tennis. Thank goodness it's radio. I never thought I'd say that. Hello and welcome. 
Welcome to Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast, where we're taking a journey through Knowing Me, Knowing You, the radio series. I'm Adam Brooks, and I'm joined by Tom Dark. Build a tree. Don't cut it down, for goodness sake. Nick Older. That last aha was tinged with sadness. And Tom Stab. Right, then my youth programmes. So, <laughs> my quote was actually, build a tree, don't cut it down, for goodness sake, as well, but I had a backup quote just in case. Because you so come prepared, prepared. I do. Unlike some other members of the team. <laughs> who literally picked their quote about 30 seconds ago. Let's move on. <laughs> I get, I'll give you a little clue, listeners. Uh, you might notice that somebody in the team, their quote at the start of the show normally comes from the first minute of the programme because they're scrolling through in a panic before we hit record. So Very today good. we're looking at episode six, the last in the series of Knowing Me, Knowing You, the radio series. Uh, Tom Dark, when did this originally go out? So excitingly, we are now into 1993. This was the 5th of Jan, 93, or as episode I like, six. As I like to think of it, the era of Ace of Base. Actually, sure. no, I think that might be 94. <laughs> should we quickly find I mean, you got to have a basic knowledge of Ace the, of Base if you're going to do an Alan the, the, podcast. The entire 90s is the era of Ace yeah, of Base, as far, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> um, so yeah, as Nick's quote suggested, uh, Alan comes on and says, uh, gives an aha, but he says, the more observant listeners would have noticed that the last aha was tinged with sadness. Uh, presumably, that's the first mistake. Observant presumably refers to sight. You can't be an observant <laughs> listener. Um, so, yep. Good point. He's buggered it from the... I don't know, is that, is that splitting hairs? I think that's maybe fine. You can make an observation. It doesn't have to be visual, sure. I think, oh, I, think that's, I think that's a deliberate error that they've put in the script. Mm. Observant listeners. So, Alan, is it actually in negotiations for a second series, it's revealed? The BBC say the current deal is fine. Alan says things change. So, in theory, he could have had a second series of his radio show. Oh, yeah, if he'd been satisfied with if that. If he'd been satisfied, yeah. he would have yeah. got a second series. And as he says, in this business, people become hot. Uh, and then goes into some well, some crazy mixed metaphors. Kid gloves, <laughs> oven gloves, hot property, just throwing terms at the wall here. And I quite like that. Even in the early days, Alan can't master the art of a metaphor or a simile, can he? It's, it's always not. a mess. I, I don't know, actually, because saying we're in negotiations for a second series, does that mean the negotiation is them asking for one and the BBC are saying, it's fine, as in, we, we've had one series and that's fine. It's, a oh, bit, it's well, actually a little bit unclear, isn't it? My interpretation of that yeah. is that BBC are saying that there can be a second series, but the deal isn't going to change, and Alan is already getting ideas above his station, despite the fact that a lot of things have already gone wrong in this series. Definitely asking for more money. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's staggering to think that this would be recommissioned when you consider all of the people that have been either assaulted <laughs> or verbally abused on the show. And it's only going to get worse in exactly. this episode. I wonder I to actually, what extent uh, life imitates art here, because he says that BBC TV are on the lookout for the next big TV chat show. So I wondered if by this point, Coogan, etc. knew that No Me Knowing You was going to make it to TV and mm. they were teeing it up with a radio show, or whether... It's more a case of Alan says he wants a TV show and then thereafter they, they, they start the real life planning to Phenomi Knowing You. So obviously this is 92, 93, uh, slash 93. Uh, the Know Me Knowing You TV show um, was broadcast in September 1994. So a couple of years, well, yeah, about 18 months or so later, about 20 months later. Mm. I, I also wondered maybe if this was even a bit of a meta play from the writers and creators mm. of Know Me Knowing You Radio to try and get themselves a TV series. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if that... I, that that almost fits looking back, but I wonder if the time, if it was that clever, but either by hook or by crook, that's sort of the way that it's played out. Yeah, totally. Um, so Tony Hares is uh, is the guest, and I'm glad for backwards continuity purposes that it is David Schneider um, mm-hmm. as, as Tony. Uh, he'll later be taking calls from listeners about the BBC, uh, which I, I thought when I first heard that, it seemed a great opportunity to plant Lynn. Uh, but obviously, I guess Lynn doesn't, Lynn doesn't exist. exist. Yeah, or, the, or she's reverse engineered into mm. the, the, the. She's she's technically she's on the scene at this point, yeah. but there's, they haven't invented her. Yeah, yeah, we don't we don't actually see see or hear of Lynn until um, I'm Alan Partridge. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but yeah, my premonition about there being a plant did turn out to be true, although sadly not Lynn. <laughs> um, so I mean, you could argue really, Tony is, uh, is as significant a part of the APU as someone like Simon or Lynn, when you think about mm. it. He's across more properties. I'm Alan Partridge, Know Me Knowing You Radio TV, I Partridge, and arguably has had more steer over Alan's career than anybody else, for better or worse. He's a very so, pivotal character, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it didn't really strike me until I, I listened to him on this that actually, yeah, he's been kind of steering Alan's career for better or worse the whole way. I was just uh, having a quick flick through um, Easily Distracted about wondering about which is, the, which is Steve Coogan's autobiography. Yep. Trying to, f- I, I couldn't find like actual clarity on kind of the timeline within it being radio to TV. But it looks like the conversations were happening that um, at the same time they were um, basically developing "Know Me, Knowing You," the radio show. Um, they they were already in discussions that on the hour was going to uh, transfer to TV as the day to day. So I would imagine like the leap of "Know Me, Knowing You," the chat show developing to TV that probably was kind of on the cards if they were already talking about the day-to-day as well. The day-to-day was uh, a year after this. That started broadcasting in January 1994. So to read from the book here, Coogan writes, as well as the radio show, Patrick and I were filling in his backstory for Nomi Knowing You with Alan Partridge and on the hour was transferring to television as the day-to-day. There was a discussion about which should be shown first, the day-to-day or the Partridge chat show. Introducing Alan to television as part of an ensemble cast is perfect. So the day-to-day started on BBC in early 94 and his chat show went out later that year. That makes sense. Yeah, so it's almost strategic that in both mm. on in the radio and then in tandem on TV, they first introduce Alan as part of an ensemble yeah. project mm-hmm. and then they bring out his own thing. Yeah. But equally with the TV, Know Me Knowing You, they've got the added bonus that people are already familiar with the concept from the radio show. So it's yeah. kind of set up perfectly. Yeah. Recently, like essentially, the radio show was a massive hit from the off. So I think really? immediately mm. the BBC must have been keen to keep on developing it to a larger property. So taking it back to this, you're saying that Alan was right when he said that people become hot, <laughs> and yes, this was yes. hot. He really was. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, clear. There's also some nice subtle digs about the BBC in general here, where he's talking about uh, the BBC's values and then lists the programmes that they represent. So, for example, originality, quality, excellence. Knowles House Party. I go home, sit down, and I think I want originality, quality, and excellence. I watch Knowles House Party, and I say, thank God for the BBC. There's also a bit of a, a, a meta dig at the BBC about the fact that they passed on the Darling Buds of May and claiming that it got 20 million viewers. I mean, we mentioned Darling Buds of May in a previous episode, mm. but we do believe it, it, it could... It, I think it was that popular. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think I don't know yeah. how much of it is di- a dig or just Alan ignorance or a bit of a bit of both around Alan. You know, citing shows like Morse, The Bill, Darling Buds of May is great BBC output when in fact it's obviously yeah. Well, it's, it's three of the four shows he mentions are ITV, aren't we? So as a kind of utterly middle of the road, ultimately not very good comedy starring David Jason, Nick, I assume you're a fan of the Darling Buds of May. <laughs> I did watch it growing up for sure. <laughs> um, I would. Give, I don't know if I'd rewatch it. I feel like it probably hasn't stood the test of time. I feel like it's pretty dated. I couldn't even tell you what it was really about. Didn't they like live on a hot farmers? Farm? Yeah, it looks like farmers in Kent. Farmers, farmers, <laughs> farmers. It was basically yeah, like just people having an an idyllic rural lifestyle. Yep, I'm interested. Tell me more. Yep. Get yeah, it on Amazon yeah. Prime now. So, um, <laughs> with Noel's house party, it's definitely worth noting. This is the first mention of Edmonds in the APU, and obviously it's the first kind of subtle dig at Edmonds, but it's more the writing team having a pop as opposed to Alan having a pop at this point. So I think at this point, Edmonds is very much uh, a broadcaster that Alan is looking up to because he's seeing mm. the success and the viewing figures of Noel's house party. But we know that things later develop and they uh, 
the, the hatred yeah. grows. And the reality is that this is this is probably nothing more than the writers having a slight subtle dig about what Saturday night primetime TV Absolutely, was at yeah. that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Little did they know that years down the line, it would spiral into a bitter rivalry between Alan and uh, Noel that they have essentially produced uh, themselves. Mm. And again, it's uh, kind of links quite well to the pop-tastic uh, Tony Blackburn autobiography that I mentioned the other week, um, when I think he fell out with Edmonds or starts to become disgruntled with Edmonds because I think Edmonds took over on the Radio 1 breakfast show from him. Right. So so there's a bit of a rivalry in Tony Blackburn's book. So again, I'm pretty sure the Gibbons brothers would have seen that as an opportunity to bring that rivalry to the fore in iPartridge as well. Um, so in the studio, Alan's taking calls or Tony's taking calls. The first one comes from Steve from Hornsey in London, who simply asks Alan, why are you such a tit? Um, <laughs> you've got to assume for Steve to have known that there was a phone in, he must have. He must be a regular listener. Um, or, I mean, are, is there such a thing as someone who's called in because they're just a huge fan of Tony Hares? I mean, <laughs> you know, I suppose it's like, you know, back in the kind of uh, Greg Dyke days of the BBC, there, I suppose he's a big enough figure that there would yeah. be people who were fans of his, I guess, and would, would call in. But also, I guess it's the opportunity for a, a BBC uh, listener viewer to to kind of air their views. Very much like um, points of view used mm-hmm. to be a hugely uh, kind of watched thing on the BBC. Um, so it, it's an opportunity. I mean, th- this guy, this caller Steve, is asking, um, saying how much he loved the Duchess of Duke Street and asking kind of where he can see that. So, I get, again, you've got to think it's pre-internet. You've got to think it's pre-internet. So that kind of to have a dialogue with somebody who's in control of things at the BBC. You know, these days people might just fire off a, an abusive tweet at yeah. somebody, whereas that was how you would have to do it. In and the, in and, and it would be, days. I guess, a bit more of an event, which explains why you've got people that hate Alan listening to and calling <laughs> yeah. into his show because it's yeah. their only opportunity to talk to uh, a BBC pro. I enjoyed that uh, Alan uh, obviously apologises but says they have no control over that, which obviously they do. <laughs> they can screen the calls if they wanted to. Well, but the I, point I, is, they haven't. Well, this gag is brilliant because Steve says, why are you such a tit? And then it and then it transpires he hasn't been cut off. So you've got Alan going, why hasn't he been cut off? And we actually see that joke that's kind of repeated with callers in I'm Alan Partridge mm. and also callers in Mid Morning Matters. And I don't know, you could be like, oh, it's a bit lazy, it's been recycled. But I think that joke, every time they do it, is brilliant. Mm. So I, I've got no problem with it being reused. Yep. Did um did anyone else have to look up the Duchess of Duke, Duke yeah, Street? Yeah, I'd never heard I'd of it. I'd never heard of it either. But no. yeah, I like that. Um, so uh, Tony Hare says that you could uh, possibly get it on VHS. Yep. Uh, you can buy it on VHS on eBay for six ninety nine plus four ninety nine postage and packaging. So if Steve wants it, it's on eBay. (laughs) Uh, Kerry from Wibbington calls in next to say, why aren't there more youth programmes? Why aren't there more youth programmes? To which Alan's response is, uh, he tries to sort of reframe Know Me Knowing You as a youth (laughs) programme, but his justification for that is because Simon Bates likes it. Uh, Simon Bates was 47 years old at the time this went out in 1993. (laughs) And and remember, not two shows ago, Alan was confirming that most of the listeners are infirm. But but now it's part of youth programming. (laughs) They got a bit lucky with the reference of Simon Bates didn't they because they could they could have mentioned someone else and it could have gone very very wrong when they say he certainly got his finger on the nub of youth (laughs) (laughs) now then now then let's not get into that Uh, Amanda from Southampton calls to say that uh, she heard Know Me Know You as a consequence of her listening to Radio 4 all the time Um, and uh, and, yeah Alan has hit a child gambled his wife's car taken cocaine bribed rent boys and uh, there's been open homophobia Uh, but she does get his name wrong so Alan then just corrects her on that point but the rest of it is fair enough he thinks now I actually think Amanda's 
list is uh, fairly lenient with Alan. I, I tried keeping a list of what I just uh, termed as bad things that happened throughout this series. So, um, shall I shall I give you my list and see if you think I've missed anything? <laughs> yes, it's, sli- but... it's slightly more detailed. I mean, Amanda's got the cool things yeah. down, but I've gone for episode one. He chastises a guest for not winning a Nobel Prize. He seems surprised a female guest is capable of being attractive and intelligent. He accuses a guest of running sweatshops. He implies a guest fraternises with 11-year-old boys and accuses a guest of being infertile. That's just episode one. Episode two, slaps a child, disrespects hypnotherapy as a legitimate profession, is openly homophobic to a guest and calls another guest a nobody. Episode three, takes cocaine. Episode four, calls a member <laughs> of the royal... smelling salts. <laughs> Episode four, calls a member of the royal family a junkie, threatens <laughs> to hit a guest, and bribes rent boys to reveal a scandal live on air. I would say that the uh, the member of the royal family is a junkie, though. They, he doesn't accuse him. They, they, they are a junkie. They go to rehab. Fine. Yep. Yep. I don't think uh, that's ep- bad. Okay, okay. That's fact. Um, well, I think the point is more like in a broadcast level saying that about a member of the royal family I mean, he does is accuse, a bad thing. He accuses the royals of getting absolutely rat-arsed. Exactly. Bad broadcasting. Uh, episode five, he's sexually inappropriate to the female co-host. <laughs> he tells an anti-Semitic joke and gambles and loses two cars. Uh, and episode six, which obviously we will get through these things, but you have the fake call to the BBC commissioner. Um, it says his female guests look like whores. And of, of course, spoiler alert, a guest dies mid-interview, which arguably That's isn't, not his fault. isn't Alan's fault. But I'm just saying in terms of bad things that happen and it being a, a bad broadcast experience, it all adds to the list. So what I'm saying Have I is, missed anything? What I'm, what I'm thinking is from the list that you've just gone through absolutely put him on the television it's gonna be brilliant definitely (laughs) give him a second series uh amanda from southampton wraps up her uh, hit list on alan by saying he's also patronizing to all his female guests which alan replies have you got a question dearie (laughs) a bit of an obvious gag that i think it works Mm. Uh, and he also tries to justify the uh, hitting a child by saying in the cut and thrust of a chat show people are gonna get hit (laughs) (laughs) oh i did also note with uh carrie the caller before when he says do you like the show she just replies no which again is a kind of gag that we've we've seen happen a few times before. Like for example, the estate agent in I'm Alan Partridge is like, mm. do, you, "Do you watch the show? No." Yep. Just that it's it's a consistent thing. People just shrug and have no idea what he's talking about. And the abruptness of that is quite similar yeah, to yeah, a yeah. boy from Bungie. No, we yeah. go to Legoland. Bye. <laughs> uh, so finally, we get a sympathetic caller for Alan, but it's because it's Alan's plumber John uh, who basically reads from a script that Alan's prepared, Brilliant. offering the, the TV show for seventy five grand. Which I thought, in the scheme of things, I mean, even for a bad TV show, that does seem a very low fee in so, order to set the entire thing up. So it's a good deal. They I, should go for it. I think so. Yeah. There's almost yeah. no development fee needed. <laughs> Well, you'd be transferring direct from radio. You wouldn't have to pay Pear Tree Productions a large development fee. Exactly. Uh, I also thought this might be a stretch, but uh, Alan's plant is obviously his plumber, John. Is it possible that this is a John who then goes on to acquire some additional skills and then make Alan's house <laughs> in I'm Alan Partridge Series 2? Yes, John like the it. Builder. <laughs> I like it, but no, because obviously at the end, Alan says, thanks very much, Jason from Norwich. So it's clearly Jason, the researcher. We know the researcher team are Jason and Lisa. Oh, got you. This bit's a bit silly, isn't it? It jumps the shark a bit, I think. Like, oh, it's, I, it's I, so, I like it. It's though. so obvious that it's a plan. Like that's, yeah, I think it jumps the shark a little bit personally. But I, I think it's good because it's layering the whole like the whole pear tree production stuff, which obviously pays off yeah, that's in much good. further series. That's good. That admittedly is good. But when and, he's kind of, when it's when it transpires, it's obviously a plan. There was no way he was going to be able to get away with this. I don't know why he thought he would be able to. It just didn't quite work for me. I don't know. I th- I think it's really funny because again, it's that sort of thing where the audience is a little bit ahead of the joke, mm. perhaps. Yeah, like yeah. it's very obvious what's going on. This has reminded me a bit of a, a, a partridge program that I would love to see made, but has never actually happened, and that is some kind of behind the scenes documentary at Pear Tree Productions. Mm, yeah, uh, especially kind of poking fun at like companies that have you know huge umbrella corporation titles, but actually there's like three people there, <laughs> and, uh, that sort of thing, and they're all working out of a Regis. 
<laughs> yeah, I think it would be great. They will hammer you on the small print. So I think to summarise with the uh, the Tony Hare section here, um, he barely gets a word in or a chance to respond to callers because Alan is very much like driving this. So really what, what Tony Hare learns is that um, people hate the show, people hate <laughs> Alan, and Alan has placed a plant uh, for Pear Tree to give them the hard sell on the second series. So it's not been a great experience. I don't think Alan has achieved quite what he wanted to do. So quickly going back to Amanda Southampton from Southampton, um, <laughs> this uh, section where she describes No Me Knowing You as the most insidiously offensive programme that she's ever heard is a little bit of a mirror of something that happened in real life, which we uh, mentioned in a previous episode, but we're going to go into a bit more detail now. Someone actually wrote in to the BBC where uh, after hearing the show broadcast, I think we said it went out at 6.30pm, yeah. um, who thought that the show was actually real and they wrote a letter of complaint. So that's covered in Steve Cooper. Autobiography, right? And easily distracted, yeah. Uh, so I, I can read it here. Um, Steve writes, I had letters of complaint from listeners who thought it was real. I have one such letter framed in my downstairs toilet. Good detail there. Um, the le- well, so actually, this letter was uh, addressed to um, Armando Iannucci. Uh, right. Uh, December the 9th, 1992. Dear Mr. Iannucci, I was appalled by yesterday's 6.30pm Alan Partridge broadcast. If this is the level to which Radio 4 has sunk, the BBC is in need of real help. The Simon Fisher interview, an interview is in inverted commas, was tasteless and cruel. Partridge's only means of countering the intellect of a quite exceptional nine-year-old child (laughs) was to ridicule him and apparently after striking him, reduce him to tears. It ended with Partridge calling Simon a little shit. The pseudo-hypnotic segment gave Partridge a five-minute opportunity to tell listeners on countless occasions that at school, and having heard him, I was surprised to learn he ever went to school, (laughs) he was nicknamed Smelly Fartridge. How very entertaining. Smelly Fartridge is their error, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, At this stage, I switched off. Of all the communication media, radio is my first love, and usually I have a high regard for the standards set by the BBC, but this example of witless drivel presented by an individual (laughs) who gives me the impression of being verbally uncontrollable has greatly concerned me. I hope Sir Michael Checkland and Michael Green both caught the programme and share my concern. Please let me have your comments and by copies of this letter, I would make the same request of them. Um, and then Coogan writes, it's a compliment, I suppose, that anybody thought Alan was real. So did you say at the beginning of that letter that's dated the 9th of December, 1992? Yeah, so you thinking they could yeah. have recycled this into material in time to put it in episode six? No, uh, uh, possibly, but I wasn't thinking that, but it was that's literally the day after... It, that episode went out. So that episode um, went out. Yeah, that is, you're correct. Yeah. That episode went out on the eighth, and <laughs> yep, that yep. letter was written the very next day. Brilliant. Brilliant. I also straight enjoyed, in the first class post. <laughs> I, I enjoyed the term verbally uncontrollable. Yeah, very good. Uh, so let's move on to Alan's guests. Uh, he's got a TV presenter and a fashion designer whose style leaves a lot to be desired. Uh, it's Trudy Sky and Yvonne Boyd. Uh, so there is a bit of guest crossover here uh, yeah. with with Nomi knowing you, the TV series, uh, and they're on to talk about their celebrity tree planting events. So uh, the walk on music is SOS, which I guess is semi-relevant kind, kind of works in a way uh, unfortunately there is no such thing as year of the tree I did look that up <laughs> uh, Trudy Sky is the presenter of a show called The Show uh, <laughs> a cult show of music cabaret and floating sculpture uh, so I think we can guess what Alan's opinion will be yeah. uh, he also makes it clear that he thinks that by cult show it effectively means small viewing figures although we do also find out that Fernando and Denise both love the show which must irk Alan no mm. end. That is that is great that it like Alan's obsessed with things like viewing figures. So any opportunity to stick the boot in on viewing figures, he'll he'll go for. Even though the show's no kind of competition to what he's doing whatsoever. Um, and they talk about Def Two, of course. Now, does everybody remember Def Two? Very uh, vaguely, I, I no. Well, they're, 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 so Def Two was a programming strand on BBC Two. It was six pm Mondays to Wednesdays, and around from nineteen eighty eight to nineteen ninety four, basically aiming for the teenage market, uh, produced by Janet Street Porter. And um, so it actually, 
they included lots of other programs kind of under this Def2 banner. So there's a nice little Venn diagram of some monkey tennis relevant things here because it included shows like Cyberzone, which we've talked about in the past with uh, Craig, Craig Charles, Charles and Awooga and Cyberswinden. Uh, Wayne's World, <laughs> which is one of Adam's uh, favourite things of all time. Yep, That's the fair. best thing, Wayne's World. So. Um, so yeah, I just thought it's like... I remember watching that because that's where the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air used to originally air as well. Jazzy Jeff and the French Prince. <laughs> that's the one, yep. Uh, so yeah, I mean, if, as you said, Yvonne is close or the same to her TV equivalent uh, in the radio show here. Um, and, and that's based on Vivian Westwood in real life? Was that vaguely? Yeah, you'd, yeah, you'd guess Vivian so. Westwood type. Gone, yeah, well, yeah. I, think, I think there was a Wogan Vivian Westwood interview that is quite, so particularly with a TV version, right. I think it was quite inspired by uh, so Alan's uh, look comes under the spotlight. He mentions sports casual for the first time ever, and uh, they describe him as more of a Rococo or mock Baroque figure. Uh, <laughs> dictionary definitions of both those styles for you. Rococo, elaborately ornamental and asymmetrical patterns. Baroque, ornate detail and lavish. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think Alan sort of agrees with them because he doesn't really know what it means. Yeah, I think he's, yeah. There's, there's a line from Alan where he says, I thought my head was going to explode like in that film. I assume that's a reference to Scanners. <laughs> yes. Is that? Yeah. I, assume, <laughs> I assume Jed and, yeah. uh, and Nick have seen. Yeah, very much so. And Scanners too. I didn't know there was a Scanners too. I, 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 I went on to the Scanners Wikipedia page and uh, there, was a, there was a quite a nice section about how that iconic head explosion mm. was done. So I'll just read that. The iconic head explosion scene was the product of trial and error, eventually settling on a plaster skull and a gelatin exterior packed with latex scraps, some wax and just bits and bobs of lots of stringy stuff that we found in... in uh, bits, oh, sorry, bobs. bits and bobs of, of stringy stuff that we found, as well as leftover burgers. <laughs> <laughs> when other explosive techniques failed to get the desired effect, special effects supervisor Gary Zeller told the crew to roll cameras and get inside the trucks with the doors and windows closed and proceeded to lie down behind the dummy and fire a shotgun at the back of its head. Oh wow. Oh wow. <laughs> there you go. I was going to say because that, that effect does actually still stand up. It still looks pretty amazing. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. 
so Trudy and Yvonne's celebrity tree planting event is called Tree Naissance <laughs> 93. Awful. Uh, but uh, their slogans, I think, are a little better than their title. They've got uh, germination, not termination. Yep. Sapling, not grappling. Nurture, not torture. Not quite as good. Mm. Uh, but nowhere near as bad as the one that Alan volunteers. Build a tree. Don't cut it down, for goodness sake. <laughs> I just love that. Build a tree. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and they also talk about their hen runs, which is a, a monthly event where 30 ladies go on a coach trip. Uh, previous um, participants include Annie Lennox, Pamela Stevenson and Janet Street Porter. Uh, I guess they've kind of included those names just to sort of frame these guests. You know, what, what the kind of the type of person that these guests are supposed to be. Oh, I just remembered I had I put a note into I don't know who Pamela Stevenson is. That's uh, uh, Billy Connolly's wife. Yeah, the okay. therapy, TV therapist. And Juliet Stevenson. Is that a relation? Or She's just... an actress. Okay, because that, that's, I think, one of them just mentions Stevenson's. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I think... had to look up a couple. I didn't know who Katie Puckrick was or Faye Weldon. Oh, yeah. So Katie Puckrick, was it, the, what's that show called? Was it the girly show? Is that what it was called? I've just got a note that she was a broadcaster. I didn't go yeah. any deeper I think listeners that. will have to forgive us because we're going all the way back to 1993 for this series when a lot of us were sort of 10 years old. Yeah. The cultural references do uh, do escape us a bit more than they, they would for uh, I'm Alan Partridge, for I example. Think, was Katie Puckrick the word as well? Maybe right. so it's oh, okay. all that kind of... It is that, that youth Y-double-O-F programming. It's yeah. F2, it's the word. Yeah. And then he's sort of, uh, the, the, there's a gentle mocking of, of those sorts of people where they talk about um, going to a greasy spoon in Margate and uh, kind of they describe it in terms of the show that they're just kind of, that a regular cafe is just totally foreign to sort of well-meaning posh people. They're just pretentious pricks, aren't they, really? They're kind of awful, yeah. It's yeah. like, you know, one of, the, one of the things that they're delighted by was like, oh, the, the waiter was Italian. It's like, what? Like, they came is- all the way from Italy to be a waiter here. Incredible. Like, oh, just fuck off. Um, also, I like that Alan uh, doesn't want to accept that Yvonne doesn't wear underwear. Yeah. Um, he's seen oh, everything. Yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah. goodness it's radio. I never thought I'd say that. <laughs> so, question to the group Have you ever gone commando? Whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't think so. What? When? I have. <laughs> yeah. Where? Why? Why not? It's you're very as, You're freeing. as perplexed as Alan. <laughs> well, I've discovered his Nick is Alan. I'm just glad this is a podcast. Yeah, and Tom and I are Yvonne Boyd, and Nick, <laughs> Nick is Alan. Perplexed. Maybe I'm going commando now. Tom, you will not show your veracity on this podcast. <laughs> oh, Prove God. It. Oh, oh, no, no, no. Thank God it's podcast. <laughs> I never thought I'd say that. Um, so, yeah, that's the end of uh, that's the end of those two. Uh, and Alan's... <laughs> that's, the, that's the end of them. Alan's final guest of the series, an 84-year-old man, Lord Morgan of Glossop. What could go wrong? Has enjoyed a long political career. I, I would just say, um, before we move on to uh, him, uh, Alan does ask the audience as well to boo as, as they leave. <laughs> yeah, which, boo them. which I did also enjoy, just boo them. <laughs> like, if he's not happy, he will turn and on actually, them. The way, the way he responds to them in general, uh, like he's totally lost patience with them. He's so dismissive. He's just like, get back to the original question. I suppose it was very wacky. Everyone was probably really trendy, dressed as a banana. He, <laughs> he, he hates them by the end of this interview. But to be honest, I think the audience are with him. Like they are just kind of pretentious, yeah. annoying, yeah. Uh, insufferable people. I think quite similar to the Yvonne Boyd section in No Me No You, the TV show. Yeah, you're a bit, you're the you're fashion. Not on, you're on side with Alan for yeah. this one, aren't you? You're not you? on side with Mrs. Whippyhead in the TV <laughs> show. <laughs> but I also just love the, the way he, that's always the end. Oh God, I can't get it out of my head. I can still see it. That's atrocious. He's absolutely <laughs> horrified. Oh, that's atrocious. <laughs> yep. So I particularly enjoy Lord Morgan of Glossop's response to Alan's intros, knowing me, Alan Partridge, knowing you, Lord Morgan of Glossop, aha, to which it seems he says, no. Um, <laughs> Brilliant. Although in the, in the script, that's not what it's, what's down, is it? Yeah, in the Every Ruddy Word script book, it says hello, but I think that's one of those kind of dictation errors that we picked up on probably. That's our theory, isn't it? That yeah. perhaps this was d- d- Every Ruddy Word <laughs> it, it, or this series anyway. It's bad closed captioning. Do you yeah. think that... 
basically when someone was doing this, they just thought, oh, I've got a bit of a cavalier attitude to this. I need to be out of here in half an hour. Not, <laughs> no, no, not, that's just what you would yeah, do. that's your approach. Not, not thinking that years and years down the line, <laughs> so be pouring over. They never the would have seen this coming. No. Um, I don't know. I mean, there, there is obviously, there's background noise going on because the audience are clapping. So I guess if somebody wasn't paying proper attention, they might think he said hello and it's been a bit masked. But I think on review, he does just say, no. It makes more sense. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah, that's it's more in keeping. Yeah. Hello would actually be far too polite yeah. for mm. what we learn about this character. Did um did anyone else have to look up if Glossop was a place or had you oh, heard Glossop of Glossop? Was, I've heard of Glossop. Mm. Oh, okay. I'd never heard of it, but yeah, it's a it's a market town in Derbyshire. Great. There we go. <laughs> uh, and now we know. One of Alan's first thick questions is uh, <laughs> you've just published your autobiography. What's that about? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> presumably his life and times. Again, yeah. bit of a cheap easy gag but that is true yeah, yeah. i like it still it's yeah it's all right it's in keeping with character isn't mm. it so i don't think you can hate on it uh and uh, they try and bond well alan tries to bond with him over his love of uh, whiskey because he says uh, the only friend a man needs is the bottle uh so alan says i hope you enjoyed the uh, the bottle of 10 year old scotch we left in your dressing room uh and yeah he's drunk it already and then calls alan an ass yeah. not for the first not for the last time well he, uh, alan asks him if he enjoyed it and he just says piss <laughs> As well as describing the whiskey as piss, he's obviously quite keen to describe Alan as an arse and everybody else they talk about as an arse as well, which I quite enjoyed. You're an arse. So so that's the thing about what's your book about? It's about my life, you arse. I think (laughs) think it's like the first time he calls Alan an arse maybe, but it definitely won't be the last. It certainly feels like Alan's a bit more tolerant here than he is on the TV show with with other guests and Forbes McAllister. I think he's sort of... uh recognises that because this is a, a titled gentleman in his 80s that he's sort of prepared to let him get away with a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. If it's an older, more titled man, he's more tolerant of them. And if it's a similar situation, but with a female, he'll kind of want to get to know them or spend time with them. But if it's someone of a lower status, he's got no tolerance. But I, th- I think also them. it's, I think, you know, with, with the, the, the characterisation we're given of Lord Morgan, like there's no way he's going to change his behaviour just because Alan asks him to be a bit more polite or something. I mean, at, at, at the intro, Alan says he reduced David Frost to a gibbering wreck of tears. It did make me think, is Alan really deluded enough to think that he's going to fare any better as well? <laughs> Than the man who interviewed Richard Nixon. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, it emerges that Lord Morgan of Glossop is an outspoken defender of pornography. Uh, I mean, some we we have guests come on with fairly strong, incorrect opinions, but these are among the worst I think we've heard. He says that uh, is it not the case that sex degrades women if it's any good? And then he start goes into I like those prostitutes you had on before, <laughs> which is very much like Forbes McAllister in the TV version saying hello lesbians. Hello lesbians. Yeah, but you know, whatever a man gets wants to get up to in his attic is is his business, I feel. <laughs> I agree. So, yeah, but maybe just don't bring it on national TV. <laughs> uh, it emerges that Alan's written his own who's who entry. Um, and at this point, I wasn't totally clear on first listen whether Lord Morgan was dying or falling asleep. I mean, obviously we know how it ends, but it did seem like it could have gone one of two ways. Yeah, my immediate thing is like when you hear someone in that situation kind of struggling for breath or coughing I think you know what's going to happen well I thought yeah, I, I, I was confident I knew what was going to happen well I think if you, if you listen to how this episode plays out it definitely sounds like the audience is slightly ahead of the gag compared to the listener might yeah. be so whether Patrick Marber is kind of Doing acting something. out a bit more because he actually Lord Morgan only coughs three times before he's dead but as soon as that first cough happens, you start to hear a bit of audience tittering. Like mm. I think they can see mm. where it's going to go. It doesn't really build up much as well. It's kind of, it is quite quick and quite sudden. But obviously mm. because it's radio, um, we don't really see much of it. You're just going off the noises. And that's probably the point around the audience getting the getting mm. to the gag yeah. before you do. But it is quite sudden. There's not much of a build up to it. He's sort of 
you know, within a couple of minutes, that's it, done. That's just death, though, Nick. That's how it works. That's life, man. <laughs> three three One minute you're here. And you're gone. <laughs> I think I hoped that he was falling asleep just because I didn't want it to be such a crossover with No Me Knowing You TV series, but I guess it's kind of inevitable. But then that's ob- obviously you've got to think that's having your awareness of the TV series, mm. knowing that before the radio. Yeah, of course. Yeah, having I've, heard this. So. That's just what I was hoping for, basically. Yeah, yeah. And I guess this is this is too subtle for TV. You couldn't just have him cough for three times and then die. Like they had to make it more dramatic for TV. And obviously, yeah. Uh, Alan shoots Forbes McAllister yeah but again I think it's not even thinking about what works on TV what works on radio it's Mm. more about if if they've made this show in 92 and then they're making the TV equivalent in 94 they know they have to ramp up what's happened as well they can't just try try and redo it so it's not necessarily about it has to have more drama it's not necessarily that it has to have more drama it just has to be quite markedly different as well right. yeah. I, I suppose you think you notice if any any of the characters in the radio series are repeated in the TV series it is escalated isn't it so the hypnotist mm. yes. yeah, the yeah. hypnotist becomes more of a thing where he's tied to a spinning wheel and there's knives being thrown at him and Yvonne Boyd has got her whole kind of like macabre mm. like catwalk and then mm. Forbes McAllister's shot rather than just dies of a heart attack so yeah they have kind of they've heightened everything haven't they I would say um, even even if you think perhaps the payoff is a bit weak in terms of him dying quite quickly I do really like this guest segment. I think that the rhythm and the tempo of the, the script is really good. Like the exchanges between Alan and Lord Morgan, I, I think it's an example of when the show's kind of at its best. It's things like, you know, are you a man of your word? No. It's just, you know, just it's it's really it's really quick and just just very funny. I think, and I think that's when when his show is sometimes at its best. Yeah, I think we'll get onto it when we sum up. But I think this might be. I'm convincing myself this might be my favourite episode in the series. Maybe. I mean, save it for the yeah. uh, wrap-up, but um, it's certainly not mine. Uh, <laughs> save it, save it. So Lord Morgan's, uh, Lord Morgan's died, and it's a, it's an actual bombshell, but for once Alan is reluctant <laughs> to use the bombshell quote, so uh, f- for now he just says, Lord Morgan, rest in peace, aha. Important to add the, uh, mm-hmm. the the brand partridge to the end of that. And then attempts a minute silence on radio, which is a terrible idea. I mean, most radio stations have a system whereby automatic music kicks in if you leave too much dead air, so he then has to speak periodically to prove there's <laughs> Still broadcasting, so it's just a minute silence interspersed with him saying, "This is Radio Four with Alan Partridge." <laughs> yeah, it's it's like a minute silence that yeah. never actually has any silence, and also contains a very long list of service stations at one point as well <laughs> yeah, on so, the M1 so, and the M6. <laughs> so before that, you have Alan. Alan says, "I drape my sweater over his head to preserve some dignity as Lord Morgan sits immovable beneath the hastily improvised Pringle shroud." Now, I read um, this website that I mentioned uh, the other week. Uh, some of the corpses are amusing, which is based on, like a comedy blog that was active in the early 2000s. Uh, I think it was on there they wrote about uh, Patrick Marber was quite visibly kind of like laughing so apparently Coogan improvised putting the um, the pring- taking the Pringle jumper off and putting it over him nice so it became less distracting to the audience and again I think that might be why perhaps the audience laughter is kind of ramping mm-hmm. up a little bit but again that's you know that's one website that I've read it on so whether you know how factual yeah. that is I don't have a source to cross reference with or anything I like um, to think it's true yeah I mean it it, it, sounds, it sounds plausible it sounds plausible doesn't it um, and it's also worth pointing out this is where we get official confirmation of Alan's birthday which I think in previous uh, records we've discussed we, we, we kind of knew what year was it, his birthday was, but we didn't know the actual date. But here it is very clearly the 2nd of April, 1955. And yeah, having been through this series, um, the, the ages do stack up with all the other Partridge outputs. So they've kept that consistent. They haven't they haven't changed his age or, or moved things around to make him younger or older, depending on what they're doing. 
Uh, there's a little bit in iPartridge about uh, the end of the series and and when Lord Morgan dies. Um, in the previous uh, paragraph, he just mentions about um, the, the death of Lord uh, Morgan of Glossop. And then he says, I don't think anyone was too upset. Lord Morgan's family began legal action and asked some searching questions about indemnity insurance. But I don't think anyone can seriously believe we were responsible. Can you imagine? Cause of death? Chat? I don't think so. <laughs> No, far from it being a downbeat end to the series, I was in high spirits. Our final show had seen a guest appearance from Tony Hares, then acting commissioning director of BBC TV, not the actual uh, commissioning editor, and a man who frankly made Adam Walters look like a pathetic radio idiot. Tony and I hadn't met before, but knowing he was important, I'd kept an eye on him <laughs> and admired him from afar, most notably in the BBC canteen from behind a newspaper. <laughs> Brilliant. A lovely detail. Uh, and so, yeah, he says he was in high spirits, but actually uh, in the show itself, he's ending the show by saying, on this very sombre bombshell. Uh, and, then, and then there's the sign-off. Ooh, I wonder, could, could they have levelled that um, Pear Tree Productions are partially responsible because they've allowed Lord Morgan to drink an entire bottle of 10-year-old uh, um, scotch before uh, mm. doing the show? There's got to be some level of like, like... That can't be good if you're 84 to drink an entire bottle of scotch. No, but I don't know how much you can blame Pear Tree for that. <laughs> it, was a, it was a kind gesture and you've got to have some self-responsibility. Yeah, I mean, obviously they wouldn't be culpable, but I mean, whether there's a bit, a bit more could, be made, could have been made of that in the script and... Perhaps there was a longer version and it's, you know, I, I don't think... It's Something gonna... has to give in 30 yeah. minutes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, there's some more classic Alan delusion in iPartridge uh, when uh, Tony right. leaves the studio. Uh, he catches up to Tony in the car park and says, Tony, are you going to put this baby on the goggle box or what? <laughs> and uh, the response is, um, we'll see, he said, which at first I thought was worryingly noncommittal. But then I thought about it. His specific choice of words... See, he'd said, not hear, see. He was talking in visual terms. This, I felt, was as sure as him saying, in code, your show will be seen on the television. I punched the air and whooped before lowering my voice out of respect Brilliant. for Lord Morgan's nearby relatives. <laughs> the next day, I walked into Pear Tree Productions and doubled everyone's pay, <laughs> then sacked Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, was Lisa the researcher yeah. That, yeah, yeah. that booked the guest on? Yeah, Brilliant. That's so well tied together. Um, also, of course, I like the idea that, that it's plausible that you could say, are you going to put this baby on the goggle box or what? And the, a legitimate response would be, we'll hear. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. Okay, so when Alan's doing the minute silence with no actual silence, as discussed, um, towards the end of that section, he talks about um, he's listing all the service stations and he mentions Julie's Pantry uh, in Chippenham. Had anybody ever heard of Julie's Pantry? No, uh, no but was this a 90s thing? Uh, well, I, don't worry, Adam, I've done the research. <laughs> Thank you God. Uh, Julie's Pantry was created in 1979 by Trust House Forte and it was described as an exciting American-style food catering establishment uh, and it was introduced at a time when motorway catering was generally a sit-down affair. Uh, sadly, though, in 1989, um, Forte became more invested in fast food and they introduced KFC, often alongside of Julie's. And by 1998, all Julie's pantries had been replaced by Burger King. Many of those <laughs> replacement Burger Kings are still in exactly the same place today. Now, often in monkey tennis, we like to throw kind of a random question to the group. So, And, you know, just depending on what the subject might be. So in this instance, I'm just thinking, Julie's pantry... Burger King. Now, I don't really have any interesting Burger King stories, but I don't really want to end the episode on that tone. So, question to the group. Does anybody have any interesting Burger King stories? Uh, mm, no, not really. I've never worked there. No, no. no I, I mean, I've certainly never... For, oh, for yeah, once, anyone... it's not me. I mean, nothing <laughs> comes to mind apart from the time I set one on fire. <laughs> oh, okay, brilliant. Adam, why don't you tell us more about the time you set a Burger King on fire? I don't know the story. Brilliant. <laughs> All right, very briefly, just to, <laughs> <laughs> just, to, just, to, just to explain, I don't know the details of this story either, so I'm looking forward to finding 
finding out more. I was working at a regional branch of Burger King at the <laughs> beginning of my uh, my career. Um, <laughs> I hadn't yet attained the lofty title of service expert, and uh, you're about to find out why. Um, part of the job was cleaning out the uh, deep fat fryers, or basically draining them of dirty oil and replacing them mm. with new oil. I was given conflict in my defense. <laughs> I was given conflicting sets of instructions by two different people in a high pressure retail environment. <laughs> and uh, and what happened is I took the greatest hits of both sets of instructions <laughs> and uh, emptied the fryer, turned the temperature back on, did not put any new oil in it and uh, no went back to my washing up, noticed about 10 minutes later that there were flames licking the top of the restaurant. So it really was flame yeah. grilled. Yep. <laughs> Quick, put this out they exclaimed before the emergency foam system kicks in. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Did we put it out with one of them kicked in? We did not. So really, then you just had like a phone party, party in Burger King. Yeah. Yeah. Did we go home at 2am that night? Yes, we did. Did I apologise in the cab home to my boss saying, sorry, I set the restaurant on fire? Yes, I did. <laughs> Amazing. Great. I think that went as well yeah, as I could have hoped. And on that flame-grilled bombshell, we come to the end of the episode. Uh, do join us next week, though. There is one more episode. You might be thinking we're at the end of Know Me, Knowing You Radio, but there is the Knowing, Knowing Me, Knowing You documentary behind the scenes of Knowing Me, Knowing You. Easy for me to say. Um, in addition, we thought we would save our thoughts about the series as a whole uh, and wrap them around our discussion of that documentary. So join us next week for that, the latest in uh, the current series of Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast. If you want to get in touch with us, it's the thepartridgepod at gmail.com facebook.com slash thepartridgepod twitter at thepartridgepod instagram at monkey tennis pod and the monkey tennis hotline is 07923 600 017 if you like what you hear and you've uh, been enjoying us perhaps recently or even since 2016 when we started this uh, you can buy us a coffee at ko-fi.com slash monkey tennis to say thanks for all of our hard work or you know just drop us a comment uh, and say no coffee for you it's rubbish <laughs> <laughs> I don't care um, anyway thanks so much for listening to monkey tennis the Alan Partridge fan podcast. Thanks again and goodbye. You're an ass. Lord Morgan, rest in peace. Aha. Welcome to Knowing Me, Knowing You, Knowing Me, Alan Partridge, Knowing You, the audience. I've got a hit on my hands. Monkey tennis? Is that good therapy or balmy old cack? Conrad Knights. Monkey tennis? I'm Alan Partridge. Why are you such a kid? Lots of meaty chats. Monkey tennis? I just want you to admit that you hate less tennis. What is it? What is it? What is it? Monkey tennis? Okay, I'm in Manhattan. What do I do now? You are a little shit. Monkey tennis? That in England is a whore. I've taken drugs. Lord Morgan. If you speak again. Hit you. And on that bombshell, monkey tennis. Thank goodness it's radio. I never thought I'd say that. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 